Welcome to The Nooner Show, where we explore the stories of talented individuals who had a wish and found a way to make it happen. They set goals, overcame obstacles, turned setbacks into comebacks. Their stories are unique, interesting, but most of all, they're inspiring. Here are your hosts, Jackie Wallace and Gina Guccini. Don't move. (laughs) But please be comfortable. (laughs) Welcome to our show. (laughs) We're starting off good. Making our guests feel really comfortable. Uh, Telling them to stay positive. You know, this is kind of intimidating, this uh, podcasting. You know, sitting right in front of a mic. I'm the same way. I can never get this thing comfortable. And I've done how many interviews? Over 240 interviews. And I still am not comfortable. I'm Right in front of this mic. I feel like I can't move. All right. I'm fine. Okay. All right. Fine. Yeah, no, it is. It, it, you know what? For, for people who are listening. I know you're an expert. Oh, nothing. <laughs> Not even close. But people who are listening, yeah, it is. It takes some getting used to. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. So are you good now? I'm good. Are you ready to get started? Yeah, but our poor guests, we told them not to move. I know. Nothing (laughs) like scaring our guests. (laughs) I know. Uh, It will get easier. (laughs) Maybe, we're hoping. Welcome to the Nooner Show. Yes. Welcome to another day. A beautiful, sunny day. It is. Yay. So what'd you do over the weekend? Specifically Saturday was a big day. Oh, for well, if you're watching yeah. TV, I was going to say, what did I do over the weekend? Yeah. We're in the process of giving a bathroom a facelift. Yeah. So talk about a big day, Saturday and Sunday. That was a lot going on. Well, that sounds like fun. Let's get into something better. <laughs> <laughs> Only because it's not happening at your house. Yeah, I but know, right. right. Uh, but this the bathroom's ha- fine. It's the kitchen. But anyway, yeah. go ahead. And this didn't happen at your house either, but you're alluding to the coronation. Yes. Yeah, I did watch it. I you got did? Up at, I did. I got up at five something. You did get mm-hmm. up at five? I so recorded I got up too, at six. Oh, I didn't record it. Oh, I wish I would have done that. I, I got re- up at six. I recorded, yeah, I recorded uh, uh, Channel 9, CBC, and local channel. Okay. So... Do you normally do that, like get up for like big events like that? And I do, like if it's like the Olympics or something. And see, it's I have, I'll get up and I'll record just in case I don't wake up, but then I will get up and like I like to see like a big I've actually and never like done that. This is the first time, so I realized I am getting older because this is what my mom does. <laughs> she does stuff like this. I've never done it before. Okay. I'm like, okay, I'm setting an alarm to watch this. But what did you think? You know what? It was lovely. It was uh, it was uh, typically British kind of weather. Mm-hmm. Um, you what know, do you mean? Well, the, oh, we- the, the weather. Ran- the weather, rain, mm-hmm. you know. But I thought it was lovely. You know, it was a historical event, so that's why I like to watch things like yeah. that. But it made me think of, like, other... Um, historical events or any like there any other family who's going through a big event in their life their own coronation right maybe yeah. they don't get the crown or maybe yeah but it's the know. whole build up and the anticipation and then you know a lot of times like they talk about like when you get married for example there's that build up and right. anticipation then you have then you get married then they say there's a letdown like a feeling of a letdown right after yeah so I wonder how they feel right after. Like, are they just exhausted or, it, you know, I mean, because think about it. It's not like this is something that happens every year. Right. Yeah. Yeah, probably. You know what I think? But but by the same token, then they've got to get back to work. Right. Like this is. You it's know, a job. It's a job. So mm-hmm. they've got to get back to work. Talking about big events, you are in the throes of planning a daughter's wedding. 
Oh, so I was like, what big event do I have? <laughs> Is there a coronation at my house? I don't know about <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> Where's uh, my crown? <laughs> it's invisible today. Yeah, it's anyway, invisible but you all the time. but, but you are, your family yeah. is in the process of getting ready yeah. to plan a wedding yeah. that will happen mm-hmm. next year. April. Yeah, yeah, so we're super excited. That's exciting. Yeah, so you know, it when it's all done, then you'll yeah. probably have the like the letdown. It'll be the well. Hopefully, it won't be a letdown. Can hopefully, I say congratulations now. Yeah, yes. yes. and here's our guest, David Samson, the one that's not supposed to move at all. <laughs> that <laughs> but be comfortable. Place. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 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 No, we're super excited. It's yeah. gonna be fun. No, not that it's a letdown afterwards, but it's, yeah, it's done. It'll you, be like, whew. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are, I think, and I think those are. Emotions and feelings that everyone has experienced, and sometimes and we, it, uh, yeah, obviously that the buildup and, sure. and stuff like that is what you're talking and about. And sometimes it's hard to when that event is over. It's hard, and you have that feeling of sadness. It's yeah. it's joyous, and then it's the feeling got let down. That, right, right. So, so over those, all that work, right? For, yeah, I think those mm-hmm. are common feelings. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was beautiful. I I, I just like the traditions and the. It's it's just so hard to understand or relate to that world, mm-hmm. but uh, but I thought it was really cool. Like I would have loved to have been there, you know, outside, waiting to ask a question. Yeah, with the right, right. Can I get just <laughs> five minutes with Mr. King? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Let's okay. do a Facebook Live. Yeah, right. Yeah. Hey, we so. could have. Mm-hmm. Next time. All right. Okay. So we have a really exciting guest on our show today. And uh, his name's David Sampson. He's the CEO of a remarkable organization, Mariner's Inn. With honor, privilege, and great devotion, David and Mariner's Inn serve people in need of treatment for the disease of addiction and homelessness. Their organization is bettered and made possible by dedicated professionals such as David, who selflessly give their expertise, time, energy, and passion to people they serve. David's ability to influence and inspire others to provide quality service is what makes him an influential leader. His strong belief and determination to help others overcome addiction is the foundation for their success. Their philosophy is recovery is real and begins at Mariner's Inn. If you've thought about getting involved in leadership that serves or know somebody in need of transforming their life, you won't want to miss this interview with David Sampson. Welcome to the Nooner Show. Wow, thank Welcome. you. Thank you. Wow, I, yeah, that, <laughs> I, you're right. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. That is, um, that's overwhelming. Uh, well, yes, I appreciate it, though. You know what? I have to just give a little bit of the backstory here. I can't tell you. I mean, I wish I had a dollar for how many people said you have to interview David Sampson. Oh, wow. I'm serious. So it was like, and, and today I was driving here thinking I should have sent out an email to let everybody know, but it doesn't come out till next week anyway. So I'm going to make sure everybody knows that we got him on the show. <laughs> well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yeah, so it. thanks for being here. Absolutely. Let's start off with Mariner's Inn. Tell us a little bit about what exactly what is it? Sure, sure. And again, thank you, Jackie, for having me. I appreciate it. I'm For some reason, I'm feeling like a celebrity and I'm not a celebrity. I'm just, you know, a normal human being who believes in, you know, service to others. And I'm fortunate and blessed to be the CEO of Mariner's Inn. Mariner's Inn is a substance abuse treatment and recovery center for the homeless. And it's located, if you're familiar with Detroit, mm-hmm. it's located right across the street from Little Caesars Arena. The oh, n- the new one. okay. Cat a corner from uh, Castec High School. Okay. 
sits in eye distance of the Masonic Temple. Oh. So we're right in that area. It used to be called a long time ago, the Cass Corridor. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, yeah. So hopefully you're familiar with that. Right yeah. in the heart of a lot going on. A lot going yeah. on. So you see a lot. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. of where it is. Yes. And then and you you focus on helping people with recovery, addiction, yes. and homelessness. That's correct. Is, is it That's a correct. residency place for people or like do homeless people do they go stay there or it is, is it, it's okay. a residential treatment facility. We can oh, okay. we can house people who are seeking help uh, for the disease of addiction and are homeless for up to 90 days. Oh, oh. And we also have a permanent supportive housing and recovery housing program that's connected to our core program where they can stay an additional four to six months Oh wow! after the treatment program just to give them an, an opportunity, you know, to practice the skills that they've learned in treatment mm-hmm. to make sure that they, you know, have a sense of long-term sobriety once they leave our facility. But we've been there. Let's see, this year we'll make, this is 2023, this year we'll make 68 years. We've been in that one 68 location. 68 years in the same place? In the same location. And, really? you know, we're, we're blessed and, and highly favored to still be there doing that because in our business, the business of nonprofits and treatment yeah. and recovery, we have to seek funding every single year. Right. So you have to apply for this contract there and that contract there to make sure that you're still doing business. So I say for, for us to still be doing it for that long. Oh, yeah. It's because of what we do, how we do it, who we impact, and our reputation in the community. I think it's um, it speaks volumes for that kind of longevity. For a, That's a really long time. Mm. And so you've seen a lot of shifts socially, mm. emotionally, uh, through through culture in that last 68 years. Yeah, I, 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 I wish I could say I've been there for 68 years. I was going right. to say, no, no, he's no, no, not well, been no, there. No, for, not you, no. no. But I mean, the, but the organization. Yes, sure, yeah. let, me, let me rephrase that. <laughs> so 68 years ago when the organization first started, yes. the, the issues yes. were different. Some of the social, emotional issues were different than what they're seeing now. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're correct. Yeah. Ad- addiction mm. and, and homelessness have always been at the, the the foundation of this, helping those who are addicted or homeless. Has that mm. always been? Well, I can tell you the story that I heard originally when we started back in 1925 or so. We'll, we'll be 100 years old in a couple of years. Okay. But it was started by the Episcopal nuns of the diocese, of, the Episcopal Diocese of Michigan. And it started in the basement of a of Mariner's Church, which is located on Jefferson Avenue. And part of the history that I've been told is that one of the uh, things that led us into treatment and recovery is that the Episcopal nuns would promise the seaport sailors as they came in, you know, a meal and a place to sleep. Mm -hmm. But they had to also promise not to drink for that day. Oh, wow. So what that led to was them, okay, I'll stop drinking one day led to another day, led to another day. Wow. And so they just continued in the practice of helping people stop drinking so much. I don't even know if alcoholism was a thing back then. Yeah. But it was their way of saying, when you're in this type of stupor, it's hard mm-hmm. for us to help you. Mm-hmm. So we just continued with that tradition until 1976 when we became incorporated as a substance abuse treatment and recovery center. It's 1976 when we incorporated. When we moved to our current area in 1955, is when we shifted to substance abuse treatment and recovery for the homeless because one of the unfortunate side effects, for lack of better terms, is when you get involved and engaged in a disease of addiction and you start to lose things, you start to lose family, you start Mm -hmm. to lose friends, Mm -hmm. 
you start to lose homes. <laughs> and one of the unfortunate circumstances of that is becoming homeless. So we would treat them with the disease of addiction because they've lost everything. And then we provide them with the skills, the coping skills and, and, and tools necessary to prevent relapse and survive and, you know, be successful in the, in the community. So there, so there's been quite an evolution. There has been, and it's still evolving. I was going <laughs> to say, day. which mm. continues to evolve as as the world changes and yeah. problems mm-hmm. ha- change. The um, the core values that I was looking as I was reading about your organization: access, compassion, dignity, respect, integrity, quality, collaboration, and commitment. Yes. Those are core values that anybody who's listening, whether they're struggling or they're, they, they feel like they're doing okay or yeah. they're on the top of the world, those are core values that are um, important to anybody. For sure, for sure. Not just people who are struggling. But yeah. how do you help someone who is struggling with, uh, how do you show compassion? How do you show, how do you show some of this to someone who's on a, they're having a hard time so they want to come to you? Like, and how do you teach it? Yeah. And, and I got to tell you, those core values are shared throughout the agency, mm-hmm. throughout the board of trustees, throughout the people who work with us and for us, and more importantly, with the people that we serve. And I think it's important that when you talk about modeling behavior and mm-hmm. servant leadership and those type of concepts, that it's easier for people to connect. And we find that connectedness, the connectedness mm-hmm. is what drives people to want to be provided services by us, mm-hmm. come to us, and it helps us to be able to provide those services more seamlessly. Mm-hmm. One of the things that makes us unique is that our program is not mandated. So people come to us voluntarily because that's it. They've so they can enough. can oh. they walk in off the street? They can. And say, here, I need help? Yes. Oh, wow. And we'll go through the entire referral process of getting them you know, an authorization to stay with us. But that's, that's for some people, that's it. That's their last straw. That's their last yeah. attempt at trying to do better. But that's one of the things that not only draws them to us, but draws us to them. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased to say that about 40% of the people that work for us have gone through treatment and recovery. So they know. Oh, what I was it's going like. to ask you about that. So 40% yeah. of the 40% people. 40% of the people that work Because that yeah. would make it relatable, I think, because yeah. I was thinking, how does somebody who, want, that was going to be one of my questions, how does somebody who has never gone through anything like that or not experienced it at all, how can they help? Well, it's easier to, not, to identify when you've gone through it, and it's mm-hmm. easier to help fight through some of the myths, mm-hmm. some of the you know things that people don't understand. Right. But I, but I need you to understand, Jackie, that it is too... You know, the disease of addiction, um, um, certified addiction counselors. It's it's a profession that people have to go to school and learn. I was going to say, you have a social work background, correct? Yeah. So it's not, it's it's educated. Yes. There's people with an education to help these addictions or these issues or these problems to provide the counseling and the the guided practice that they need. And then you add on top of that, if that person also has gone through the process themselves mm-hmm. and has experienced addiction. Right. It makes it that much stronger. It makes it that much stronger. And yeah. people can identify with that. And they're, right. they're more willing and open to listening to what a person has to say that, to the, you know, to what's going to make them more successful in recovery. And that, mm-hmm. you know, I think for me personally, I think that's what drives me to serve the way that I do is because I've been in recovery for 35 years. Wow. So I know what it's like to have been there mm-hmm. and to have done that. 
And when people come and talk to me and, 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 and see, you know, the way that I lead, I lead with compassion and passion because I know what this disease can do to people. Mm-hmm. And so people feed off that and they feed off that in a way that says, I too want to make sure that whoever I come in contact with, they know that they're getting the best of me so that they can be the best of them. Wow. And can so, I ask what changed in your life? How did you change your life? Well, I, you know, it was it was a significant event. Oh, and for okay. most people, you know, sometimes they you know they, they call it rock bottom. You've hit you yeah. hit rock bottom, and there's nowhere else to turn, and you've got to get yourself together. And um, you know, a significant event happened to me uh, in the Cass Corridor area. As a matter of fact, my sister was also involved in in, in drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. and she was killed. Um, oh, yeah, two blocks from where Mariners Inn currently oh, is located. My. God, I'm so sorry. And it was that event that said, you know, I, I, I can't, I can't live like this anymore. And for the life of me, I need, I need to understand why this happened to my sister the way that it happened to her. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, I took the initiative of learning as much as I could about the disease, working with people, getting all the credentials and degrees necessary to prove that what I'm saying did you get means something. did was there somebody in your life though at that time that like held your hand? Through this, there was okay, <laughs> and 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 my dear mother, God rest her soul. Um, COVID took her out of here, but God rest her soul was the one that no matter what, <laughs> I, no matter what I was going through or where I was, I could turn to her for help and assistance. And mm-hmm. she got me into a drug rehab center. Uh, it was called the Salvation Army Harbor Light. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it was also in the Cass Corridor area, so right across the street from where uh, Mariners Inn is now. Harbor Light is now Little Caesars Arena. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Yeah, so that's where I got the help that I needed to mm-hmm. turn my life around. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it's been full, you know, uh, head on, uh, getting all its, you know, the knowledge, the support, the experience necessary to be where I am today so that I can give those same things back to other people. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. What you were talking about... Um, you brought up the thing of, uh, you know, people that have gone through it know what, like, the myths are and stuff like that. Mm. What about people who haven't gone through it? And, like, what would you say to them, you know, to, like, maybe they want to help out or I'll give you an example. This A good friend of mine who lives in Hawaii, her name's Janet Honda, if she's listening, she shares our stuff all the time, but she's just this genuinely really good soul and her and I were on a corporate trip one time and we were in Haiti and there were so many beggars you know around and she just kept giving out dollars and I I was like Janet stop doing that what are you doing stop doing that because in my mind it was like get a job you know and I mean a lot of people think stuff like that and she was the one that taught me a lesson because she was like what what do I care I have it like I don't care and I was like oh, God, you're right. And I, I felt like a schmuck. Mm-hmm. I mean, I felt, and so I changed my whole f- approach after that because I was like, why wouldn't I just, like, what do I care? Yeah. You know, they need it, obviously. There's some, it's not, I'm not here to judge them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, like, what is a, a myth like that with homelessness? Because I think a lot of yeah. homeless people get judged. Yeah, all the time. And especially when, you know, they're seen at a freeway overpass with, with, with a sign or in the community with a perceived look of homelessness, whether they're dirty or walking around with a blanket. Mm-hmm. I think what the myth is and what a lot of people forget 
is that they too are people. Right. And they once had a life before you saw them the way that you saw them now. And so what I do when I tell people whenever they're faced with that, they'll ask the question, what do I do? What am I supposed to do? Talk to them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Talk to them. Ask them if they need any help, any assistance. You may even get out of it a story, a story Mm -hmm. as to why they ended up the way that they ended up. Some may still choose to be that way, but what it will do is it will enlighten you and educate you on how not to label prior to talking to them. Right. And for the people that work with us and for us, you know, it's great that you get um, the degrees and the credentials necessary to prove and supply the proof that what you're doing is what you should be doing. What I do with the people that work for us it, throughout the interview process and maybe at the end of the interview process, and once they come aboard, is I have a conversation with them and I ask them, why do you want to do this? You know, why do you do this kind of work? What drives you to do this kind of work? And that will tell you whether or not they're in it for um, the support of the people that they're trying to help or for themselves. And in any case... What, what do you look for when, some, when you ask that question? You look for authenticity mm-hmm. and genuineness. Because if a person is there to truly see the success of somebody else, especially somebody that's gone through, currently gone through or has been through the disease of addiction and what it does to people and families and communities, if they're there to try to build and rebuild that person to a sense of dignity and respect then that's what I look for. Mm -hmm. And if that in some way helps them as well, then that's just the best of both worlds. Because there is a a ripple effect. If you think about it, you're not just helping that one person. When you're transforming their life, it affects everybody else in that person's life. And then it keeps going. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's one of the greatest gifts of this process. Right. Is to be able to provide people with the kind of confidence that they can go out and do it as well. When, I can go out and help the next person. Right. When someone comes for the first time to your to Mariner's Inn mm-hmm. and they are they need help. They need they they're in a desperate way. What's the first step for anybody who might be listening and thinking, you know what, maybe I should look into this. What would be the first step that they they come in your door and what's the first thing that they will experience? So the first thing for us that they would experience is a group of direct care personnel who are there to welcome them and say thank you for choosing to come to us for the type of, you know, for the help that you think you need. Let's do an assessment. If you've successfully met all the criteria in the assessment, then let's get you authorized to be here. And so what we'll do is we'll call, we, we are funded by the Detroit Wayne Integrated Health Network. It's an authority mm-hmm. uh, of Wayne County that's funded by the state of Michigan. And we'll get them a referral for services at our place that actually pays for services because 99% of the people that we serve are indigent right. and so, don't have any you know, any kind of health insurance. Right, exactly. So for the people who are listening who think that that's exactly it, I don't have any money, I no. can't afford right. this, I, I, I don't have the insurance, I don't have the means, that shouldn't deter them because you, you can help them along that way. Absolutely not. And we've been known to... Um, you know, accept cases where we didn't get paid for them because that's not our primary purpose. Our primary purpose is to help someone regain their sobriety and and, and have long-term sobriety and be productive members of the, of the community again. So we don't make that the primary um, reason for to either mm-hmm. deny services or to accept them for services, but we will try to find them uh, the means to be there. And the first means is through Detroit Wayne Integrated Health Network, 
We do have a sliding fee scale, but we rarely meet that because most, as I said, most of the people that come to us, you know, come to us without health insurance. So. Do, um, do you think that everybody can overcome addiction or homelessness? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely, I do. Mm-hmm. I, or, or else I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I think it's important to know that second chances, third chances, whatever you think about that How, matter. Whatever, okay. Because mm-hmm. you never know when a person is going to finally get it. Right. We've had people in our facility, as a matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago, um, one of my colleagues told me a story of a gentleman that had been in treatment for 36 times and finally got to Mariners and said, oh, this is what it's about. As your philosophy <laughs> says, recovery is real. And recovery is real, yeah. yeah. So, you got to stay the course and you stay, stay the with course. it. Yeah. Do, you, do you hear back from people who have gone through it and see what they're doing and... Yes, yes. And that's another thing that keep. there's so many things that keep me doing this. But that's one of the major accomplishments, if you will, to hear someone say, I'm still clean and sober. Mm -hmm. I still have the job that I went back to. And more importantly, my family still accepts me. That's I'm back in my kids' lives. And I have a future. And those those kinds of things are why we do it. Right. To help you the regain. The driving force. Yeah, help mm-hmm. you regain that place in your life. What's the biggest obstacle that someone has to overcome to accept this help? Well, there's the shame of the guilt of recognizing that I, might, I may have a problem. Mm-hmm. Because usually the people with the problem are the last to see it. Yeah. Other people around them will say, hey, listen, you might want to consider getting some help and and, and it'll take them, you know, some time to get there. The first thing to get over is the shame and the guilt and accept the fact that you may need help. There's a, you know, there's these technical terms within the disease of addiction and considering treatment that that people may hear. It's, you know, pre-contemplation, contemplation, now I'm ready, let's go, let's get it done. And so when people are getting to a point where they may consider getting help, is when they're pre is when is is when they're in their pre-contemplation stage. But if they have support and people around them that says to them, sort of like an intervention, you know, yeah. that says to them, this is probably something that you should at least consider. Mm-hmm. And once they get over that initial, you know, shame and guilt and of of where they think they may be with the disease, then then that then that's when we come in and we help support them through it. And a large percentage of your of your clientele, they are men. Yes. Yes, as a matter of fact, that that has been our primary target population until this new, you know, venture that we're diving into. Right, and yeah. so women who are listening, mm-hmm. who are having difficulty, they can also reach out for your services. Yes, and receive some assistance. Yes. What about families who are struggling? Yeah, it's 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 a real issue. Uh, I don't know of many facilities that offer family residential treatment. Now, mm-hmm. for us, for example, we have a strengthening families program that deals with the issues that families face because of the disease of addiction. Mm-hmm. And part of that is, you know, understanding what the disease is and what it is meant for their loved one, how to cope with, you know, uh, those symptoms if you ever see them arise again. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, how to regain that structure when you finally have, t- you know, help their loved one become clean and sober. So our strengthening families program lasts about 12 weeks. It's designed to provide the loved ones of the people who are in treatment and education, not only in education, but it provides such activities as a group meal, a group outing, things that may have been missing before once the disease of addiction took over. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that 12-week course, it's designed to help them not necessarily confront one another, 
but engage with one another as to what to expect when their loved one is on their way either home or back to where it is they came from to get treatment from us. So it's designed to rebuild that family structure and to help them regain their dignity and respect within the family. Because, right. you know, a lot of times when, you know, the men leave or they have had to leave the family and they go home and they may have completed treatment successfully, but what they have missed is the fact that you don't go back into the same role that mm-hmm. you left. You go right. You go back mm-hmm. into a different role where mm-hmm. the mom has had to take over mm-hmm. and become the mom and the dad, and mm-hmm. you don't just get to right. you know, jump back into that role. So the Strength in the Family program helps them understand that and helps them cope with what to do if those you know if those issues arise. So and it's pretty been pretty successful, but that's been our way, our way of dealing with. You know the family issue, the, the family aftermath. Structure, the aftermath. And what yeah. about who you surround yourself? You're the average of five people. Is that quote? So how do you help them to say, you know, you're going to have to cut out all yeah. those people you were surrounded with? And I'm not talking about the support people, right? But the people that you sat there and partied with, or you yeah. know, how do you how do you help them understand they just can't go back to that circle? Yeah. The good part about that is that we aren't the only ones trying to preach that message. What happens is in our facility, because everybody's there for the same reason, everybody's preaching that message. And everybody's saying it's impossible for you to successfully recover if you continue to engage in the activities without not necessarily drinking or drugging again, but if you're engaged in the activities of where it actually took place, you're bound to relapse and it'll happen yeah. again. So we put uh, a, a program in place called our Peer Support, Peer Recovery Coaching Program mm. and our alumni program. And these are all people who have been through the process, who are in recovery and active recovery, that then become peers and mentors of people who are currently in the program to convince them that you cannot continue to do the same things and expect this different. Right. You know, that's the definition of insanity. But... You can't keep doing the same things. You can't keep throwing rocks at a glass house and don't expect mm-hmm. it to break. So mm-hmm. you try it. You say you have to come out of this area. You have to do something different. And we try to provide them avenues to do that, you know, whether it's, you know, new employment or whether it's, um, you know, a different environment altogether. Uh, so change their surrounding completely change your surrounding, so it doesn't trigger. So it doesn't. And then. Change the way you think about those surroundings. One of the one of the modalities that we use is cognitive behavioral therapy, and part of that is, you know, changing the way that you think about certain things, uh, so that they don't become as you know as intrusive and as 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 powerful as they were before, when you were thinking about using drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Now don't think about using drugs and alcohol, but only do more with that and do something different. So, you change your environment, you change the way you think, and. It's our it's our belief that when you do that, you have a greater chance at success. What's the um, average age, would you say, of you, of the people that come in? Yeah, we we accept people at eighteen, and we've had people as old as seventy two. So the average age is about forty eight, between forty eight and fifty two. Okay. Yeah, and that's you know it's mm-hmm. it's strange because you wouldn't think that you know people at that age would. You know, finally realize that's that a hard I got age a problem. To, yeah. to admit. Admit you have a problem. Right. But that's great because think about it. You live to your 100 today. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many things around you that that help show you that there's a problem mm-hmm. that you almost have to accept it. When you have no place else to go, when you don't have an income or a job, and when family says, I want nothing more to do with you, 
and it's all because of what you're doing, then you almost have to accept the fact that, yeah, I got to get, I got to do something about this. I got to get some help. For people who are listening and they need to, they're realizing that, you know what, maybe this is their sign to get help. How do they contact Mariners Inn? Yes, we are, our, our direct phone line is 313-962-9446. And oh. uh, the, the, the first person to answer the phone will provide you with all of the assistance that you need, whether it's to get a referral or to get more education about the program or to understand what... Um, uh, what the criteria is to enter our, our facility. Uh, we also have a website, uh, Mariners Inn, that's M-A-R-I-N-E-R-S-I-N-N.org, where you can get more information about uh, our services and how we provide them and what we do and what to expect. And, and it, within the recovery community, within you know, other places that provide the type of services that we provide, it's word of mouth. I mean, we support one another because... We're all in it for the same reason, and mm-hmm. it's to help people get clean and sober and regain their and lives. And I, I would imagine that um, with everything you hear right now about drugs and everything that's going on, especially with y- young kids, you guys are probably pretty busy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah never and, a shortage, unfortunately. Yeah. What's your favorite success story like that you've repeated in addition to yours, <laughs> but like a story that just you didn't think it was going to turn out the way it did, and it just... Yeah. Oh, and there's one I think about a lot. It's, it's actually one that I, I used at a at an, at an outing one time, and it was never forgotten, and it was it actually won us an award. Oh. <laughs> and, and, and it wasn't because I was trying to win the award. I was yeah. just trying to, you know, share how important uh, this was to me. There was a young man. He was... 20, 20 years old, right? And he had come to us thinking that, you know, marijuana wasn't really his issue, but his, but, but his family was telling him that you, you have a problem and it's probably more, you know, more than marijuana. So um, only child had, you know, dropped out of school, still not recognizing that what he was doing was having an impact on going to school and staying with the family, but once he finally realized that you know, maybe I do need some help, maybe I do need to, you know, talk about what's going on with me. And, and, and once he decided to do that, you know, other things were discovered. We did a mental health assessment. We did all of these other kinds of activities and discovered that he had a mental health issue along with the drugs. And they, in the technical world, they call that co-occurring. So he had a co-occurring disorder. But after discovering that, he still had goals and he still had wishes and he mm-hmm. wanted to succeed. So one of the goals that he had was to complete his general equivalency diploma, GED, mm-hmm. and enroll in school, in college, and become a, an engineer, right? Wow. And so, you know, initially you're told, don't make the goals and objectives too big because you want people to get an opportunity to celebrate small victories. Right. Um, and one of his small victories was one to get into to treatment with us and complete successfully. So I asked him to tell me and to tell us what it would take to get him to where he wanted to go. And so he had a plan, he mapped it all out. And <laughs> I was really impressed with that. But turns out, long story short, it turns out that once he completed successfully, we little you know, unbeknownst to us, he had been applying to schools. He got his GED, which is a, which was another small victory. 
But after he did that, he started applying to schools, right? And we had no idea. And so one day he came, you know, he came to me and he said, Mr. Samson, I just want to show you this. He had an acceptance letter from Eastern Michigan University oh, wow. for school. Wow, amazing. And, 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 and I was so taken aback. You had given him the tools. I'd given him the tools. And I said, you know what? We're all going with you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we all packed. We packed uh, one of our vehicles. You we, did? You yes, really went? We did. We really went. Got him in. He, I mean, he, he got a dorm room and everything. Got him into his dorm room, set him up, took pictures. And I, it might even be on our website somewhere. I'm not sure. But we took pictures and everything. And it turns out that this young man, you know, graduated with his engineering degree and is doing fabulous today. Wow. So that, Kudos that is to him and to you story. and your organization and everybody who so was involved. So it can be done. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the board chair and everybody was like, we're going. Wow. <laughs> that is, amazing. that's a great story. Yeah. Um, so are drugs and alcohol and homelessness, is it the mask of what's really going? Like, is that really the problem? Is the addiction the, the drugs or the alcohol, or is is it that there's something else really going on? Is there always something else really going on that's masking? What I've, dis- what I've discovered in my, my years of practice, and I've been practicing for about 40, 41 years now, is that there's usually a, an extenuating circumstance or hidden trauma that causes mm. people uh, to want to seek solace or mm-hmm. seek, you know, relief from whatever it is. And a lot of times the relief is, you know, Drugs, alcohol, okay. to mask, as you as you right. said, was a great word, to get out of feeling that uncomfortable feeling of oh. either being traumatized or, or 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 being demeaned or mislabeled in some kind of way. It's mm-hmm. usually some something, some extenuating circumstance that leads to at least experimenting, practicing. But then the unfortunate incident that happens is those that experiment leads to addiction. Right. And then addiction says, you know, I've got a hold of you and until you get help. And then firmly, the rest of the just, world is affected by it, by yeah. their their world. By their world. And it becomes oh. a cycle. If you don't break the cycle by getting help, then it becomes a cycle and you just stay in that, you know, you stay in that vicious cycle. But it's usually some extenuating circumstance, uh, some trauma, something that led to the, you know, to the to the um, decision you know, to pick up drugs and alcohol uh, in, in the first place. Now, I don't want to paint the picture of drinking alcohol will lead a person down that road. Right. Because there's people who do it very well and have right. done it successfully. Right, right, right. But when you're subjected to... When it becomes the problem, it yeah, takes over. Yeah. There's usually another problem. Yeah. I was going to ask one other thing. If, if somebody wants to get involved in your organization, yeah. like even volunteering for events, or do you have fundraisers and stuff like we do. that? We How do. do they? What do they do? Contact the website. Go through the yep. website. You can go through the website. You can contact the number that I gave through one three nine six two nine four four six, and Tahala Tobert is our fundraising guru. Uh, she will help out, and she she also deals with the volunteers as well. Um, and her extension is 230, by the way. She'd kill me if I didn't give it out. Her extension is 230. And we often, we have two major fundraisers uh, during the year. One is our golf outing, uh, which is coming up. And uh, you have large corporate sponsors for that. We do. Thank God. Because mm-hmm. yeah. like I said in, earlier on, you know, we still we still have to apply for funds every single year. Right. Uh, and then we have our annual fundraiser, which is called River Rhythm, which is the one designed to really solicit more contributions towards the operation. But what we've been doing lately, I know you didn't ask this, but I just it's wanted, okay. I, I, need, I need to jump this in. We were fortunate enough to, to receive uh, 
low-income housing tax credits for mm-hmm. a new development at our current location that is going to provide us the opportunity to uh, provide more housing opportunities for people in need and expand our current services into our current location. And that project is called The Anchor. And oh, I like that. We, we had a groundbreaking ceremony on April the 10th. Uh, the Mayor Duggan spoke at it, and we talked mm-hmm. about, you know, things I we're going to be that doing. picture. Yeah, and, and, and it, it's, it's been an amazing journey to get to this point. Now, I, I've been at Mariner's Inn for 22 years, and it's always been, you know, a vision of, of, of ours, of mine, to do something of this magnitude in that area. And my mother, again, God rest her soul, she told me this, and I know she got it from somewhere because it was so profound, when she said that, you know, a vision is something that you see before you see it so that you can actually see it. Wow. And so this, you know, in this vision of ours, this, Boy, like the anchor um, has been um, a, a labor of love, and we're finally going to see, you know, uh, that come to fruition with, within the next 13 months or so. So Amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of growth great. Yes. Congratulations. Yes. We will leave the links below with yes. the website, the phone number for anybody who wants to volunteer. They need some assistance. They need some guidance uh, on the post when we post this and, and on the show description. We'll leave all that information for anybody who wants to reach out to you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much yes. for sharing your Thank story. You. No, no problem. Thank you for having me. So I, I inspiring. Really Thank you. We've Thank tossed you. the cookies, and the idea here is to end the show on a on a happier note, telling your your fortune from the cookie. When you have a dream, you've got to grab it and never let it go with Mariners in. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Always do your best and you will win. With Mariners in. <laughs> oh, listen to this one. There is nothing impossible to those who try at Mariners in. Well, thank you so much, David Sampson. We appreciate you sharing your journey and um, all the great work you and everybody else at Mariners in are doing. We really appreciate it. We look forward to watching the program continue to grow. Thank you. Thank and you remember that sometimes the only mode of transportation available is a leap of faith. Thanks for taking a leap of faith and have a great week.